that kind of thing. But we are lit, and we are in love with lit and the love that exists within lit. If we've lost you, that's okay. Let me bring you back. I'm Haley. And I'm Mariah. And we're here to talk about couples in literature. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So this episode, we're talking about Jane Eyre and Mr. Rochester and their love story. Their couple name in this book, um, Jane and Rochester, is Jawchester, in my opinion. So beautiful. They exist within the world of Jane Eyre, the novel, created by Charlotte Bronte, under the pen name Currer Bell, Currer, Currer Bell, on um, 16th of October, 1847. And um, she is the sister of Emily Bronte, whose book Wuthering Heights we discussed in the first episode. What was the other sister's name? Oh, goodness. I do not remember. Elizabeth is my guess. That's a good guess because everyone was named either Charlotte, Emily, or Elizabeth. So. <laughs> and wasn't their brother named John? Probably, or Edward or something. We should know these things. Charlotte Bronte actually got married. And she got pregnant soon after her wedding, but then she died with her unborn baby, very, very tragically. That is so sad. Their whole family story is tragic. It truly is. It explains their writing. Those Brontes, they they churned out some literature, though. Um, you have to go through some tragedy to build some character and some good writing. Um, so the genre is... It's gothic, and although arguably it is not as dark and brooding as Withering Heights... It counts as gothic due to the, like, melancholy and moody atmosphere. The characters are super passionate about things. Um, The setting is a castle, a beautiful thorn field. People go blind. People get limbs cut off. They die in fiery deaths. Okay, it was just one death. And also there's, like, one, like, supernatural element of, like, a person calling into the air and somebody else hears it. So that's, like, the most dramatic thing ever. It's crazy. It's good. And um, the people that populate this novel, of course, we're going to start with Jane, who is the protagonist of the story. And she really goes through a transformation from this little girl who is powerless and sad and lonely to this strong woman with definitive opinions and morals. And throughout the book, she's very introspective. She's a hard worker. She gained independence through a job of her own and really getting the most out of her education, even though some of the people that were teaching her were not great. She had some great role models that she really gained a lot from. And she also does not let Rochester get away with his ridiculous behavior that he's had with other mistresses. And uh, a couple times in the book, it said that she's not the most beautiful person, but I think that she's pretty beautiful on the inside. And then there's Edward Fairfax Rochester. Uh, In my description, I underlined and italicized passionate because he's pretty intense. (laughs) He's really rich and brooding. He's surrounded by self-placed mystery. Um, He has a wife and a slew of mistresses before Jane. Uh, He loses a hand, Skywalker style, goes blind. Uh, A lot of things happen to him. He's a little bit deceitful about his uh, wife. He hides her in the attic because she's mad. Like British mad. Yeah, she's just like intense, passionate, violent kind of person. Spoiler alert. Um, And uh, it's hard to... I judge him. I'm not sure if his sentiments were a product of the times because people really didn't know how to deal with people who were mentally ill, but it was still not that great. 
he also has a weird mm-hmm. side, funny side. He teases Jane and he pretends to be a fortune teller at one point, costume and all. Uh, and he seems to love Jane, maybe superficially at first, but eventually for real. And then we have Sarah Reed, who is Jane's aunt, who Jane lives with until she's like 10, I think. And she's kind of the worst. I mean, there's a bunch of people in this book that are not the best, but she's kind of the worst. She's She treats Jane terribly and won't even reconcile with Jane when she is dying. After Jane forgives her for what she's done, she still doesn't want it. And then she has uh, three kind of awful children. John Reed, who's Jane's cousin, who's horrible to Jane. He physically and verbally abuses her. He becomes an alcoholic and a gambler who commits suicide. Not a great life. At like 20, I think it said. And then Eliza and Georgiana, his sisters. Uh, Georgiana is super beautiful and shallow. And Eliza is like jealous and ruins things for her sister. And she joins a convent and becomes like a mother superior, which is weird because she's not compassionate at all. And then Bessie Lee is one of Jane's friends when she's little. She's the maid um, of the household, and she tells Jane stories and sings her little songs, and she tries to be her friend. And um, uh, when I was reading that, do you remember the uh, test that Dr. made us take that was really hard? Was that when she was really mad at us? Yes. And she was like, take this test. Yeah, it was it was not Haley or I or our friend Emily. We all got like A's on the, that paper. But I guess the paper before this test, everybody did really awful because they mixed up characters from different books like they didn't read the book. We were like mainly English majors in that class. So it was kind of embarrassing. Yeah, she was like, I'm so disappointed in you oh guys. My You're not reading the book. You was, have to read the book. It was so <laughs> terrifying. I think it's one of the most terrifying things. Because she's scary when she gets mad because she's a very smart person and very sharp so when people like that get angry it there's a good argument and she also loves like british women authors that was the class we were taking so she loves jane eyre she loves pride and prejudice all yeah those kind of books. yeah and so it was like a personal insult to her too anyway enough about her and so the next test no but the next test she made it really hard and um she asked what song bessie sang to jane mm-hmm and it was like, no one knows. <laughs> That's what it made me think of. Um, but Bessie's really nice. She visits Jane at school, tells her she done good for herself, and then she gets married. Um, and then Helen Burns is another one of Jane's friends. She's like this wonderful, sweet, steadfast little girl at Lowood. She's patient and tolerant and peaceful, even though one of the teachers has like out for her and like humiliates her all the time. She really teaches Jane a lot um, about how to be a great person and then sadly she dies of tuberculosis it's super unfortunate who doesn't and then um there's a teacher or she's a superintendent at jane school of lowood and she's really a great superintendent she treats jane and helen especially with great care she nourishes them intellectually and sometimes with real food because the school was real bad about giving children food and she just became a really good role model for an independent and successful woman for jane to look up to and um and then there's miss alex alice fairfax who's a housekeeper at fairfield she's kind to jane when she gets there but she doesn't agree with her and rochester getting married she's kind of about the class system and then blanche ingram 
is this beautiful, haughty society woman who Rochester pretends to love. Haughty. Uh, haughty. Not attractive. <laughs> haughty like a nose in the air lady. She's not great. And she treats Jane super poorly because she's below her. I'm putting that in air quotes. I know you can't see that, but that's what I'm doing. And she only wants Rochester for her for his money. She's a fortune hunter, which makes her sound way cooler than she is. She's a gold digger. It's gold dig. Yeah, she's a gold digger. They use fortune hunter, I think, in the book, but that just makes her sound really cool. But she ain't messing with no broke, Rochester. Yeah, exactly. She's like, eh, whatever. Uh, and then Adele, I don't know if you say Varenz or Varenz? It's supposed to be French. Adele Varenz. No one knows. No one knows. Uh, she's Jane's pupil at Thornfield. The whole reason she goes there is to teach her. She's French and becomes a great student and companion for Jane. Student. <laughs> student. <laughs> it's a possibility that she may be Rochester's daughter. Uh, we don't know if she's Rochester's daughter or not. Uh, her mom was a French mistress of Rochester who, again, only wanted him for his money. And she just, like, abandoned her child with him. Um, and then we have uh, the famous woman in the attic, Bertha Antoinetta Mason Rochester. Such a regal name. Um, she is a mentally ill Creole woman from Jamaica, and Rochester's dad tricks him into marrying her because she's very wealthy. And at first, Rochester thinks that she's beautiful and magnificent and lavish, but she it descends into madness. And so he locks her up in the attic at his house and uh, hires this lady named Grace Poole to take care of her. And sometimes she escapes from the attic and wreaks havoc at Fairfield, eventually setting it on fire. Intense. And then, of course, Grace Poole is Bertha's caregiver. She's a little bit of an alcoholic, and sometimes that's the reasons why uh, Bertha escapes. <laughs> and at first, Jane thinks that Grace is responsible for all the things that Bertha does, so she's super suspicious of uh, Grace. And then Richard Mason is Bertha's brother, who shows up singularly to thwart Rochester and Jane's wedding because he's like, ah, uh, you married my sister already she's still alive i know she is he ends up getting bitten and stabbed by bertha at some point brotherly sisterly love and then sinjin it's spelled like saint john why didn't they just put sinjin i don't know the etymology of that name it might be interesting i hate it it's so weird sinjin it sounds like sin which maybe means something <laughs> i don't know no i think it just was their way of creating nicknames back then none of them ever made sense it doesn't <sighs> these weirdos uh he's jane's cousin he's super extra he's smart and very like religious and zealous and he desperately wants jane to marry him and he tries to force her into marrying him so she can become his missionary wife and they can save lives in india and he just like keeps going at it keeps asking her He's very mechanical. Yeah. Yeah. He is the foil to Rochester. Yeah. He's just very stoic and intense. Um, and then his sisters, Diana and Mary, uh, are lovely, accomplished women working as governesses, which is like the only job available for women at this time. They're really nice to Jane. And Diana totally supports Jane not marrying her brother. So that's good to have. And then we have John Eyre. We never see him. He's Jane's uncle, and he's a wealthy wine merchant. He leaves his fortune to Jane, which is super nice. He's never met her. He was planning on adopting her, but he died before he could. And so he leaves her his fortune, and that allows her some financial independence from Rochester, 
which is like super awesome. And of course, there are many other characters in this book, but these are the main ones that I picked out. <laughs> okay, so plot summary. Woohoo! So, <laughs> in case you can't tell our voices apart, because I know that's a common thing with podcasts, I'm Haley, and that was Mariah that just spoke. And I'm going to do a brief plot summary. We'll see how brief I can make it, because it's a fairly long book. There's a lot of stuff that happens. So Jane is a little orphan girl living at a place called Gateshead with her aunt and uncle, the Reeds. They're super mean to her. They're abusive. The opening scene is her hiding from her horrible cousin in a little reading nook. And every book-loving person dreams of a little reading nook, um, along with Belle's library. But the thing about this reading nook is it's her liter- like her only solace so that makes it a little less comforting or more comforting i don't know books are always a great comfort yeah so there's a great moment where she shows her backbone and tells them exactly what she thinks of them and how cruelly they've treated her but they lock her in the red room where she's tormented by what she thinks is the ghost of her uncle because her uncle died in that room where they locked her so oh gosh that'd be so creepy someone needs to call cps obviously so then they don't want to deal a lot of dead uncles in this book so then they don't want to deal with her um or the result of the trauma that they've caused her because obviously they think it's all her fault and she's just a devil child when really they if anything they created the devil they send her to lowwood um lowwood yeah lowwood sorry isn't the guy in the last book called lockwood yep i was like wait a minute is this his school because he did a bad job. Emily and Charlotte must have, like, communicated. Like, oh, I like these string of letters. They probably were like, all right, I'm going to name my guy Lockwood. You name your school Lowwood. It's almost the same, but it's still a great word. <laughs> no, what happened was they had both named something Lockwood, and they were like, oh, we got to make it different. <laughs> Lowwood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so they sent her to Lowwood, the school for the oppressed so, Mr. Brocklehurst, the most aptly named evil character, um, hates every child in the school, and therefore, he's the principal of the school. You know, it makes sense. Of course. So, they're treated horribly. Jane is made to stand on a stool and humiliated after she stands up for someone. That's kind of how they treat people. You know, they keep the kids oppressed and down. They don't eat well, and the living conditions are really bad and cold and wet, and so, of course, there's a lot of diseases that quickly spread. So this place is basically the Middle Ages condensed into one building. There's specifically an outbreak of typhus, um, which ironically might be what Charlotte, the author, died of, which Jane, um, when Jane is there. So there's a bright spot where Jane becomes friends with sweet little Helen, who, of course, dies of consumption, tuberculosis. But Helen teaches her a lot about being patient and finding strength in God and your own moral compass, even when others are getting you down. She has um, also a good older mentor, Miss um, Temple, who helps Jane get a good education. She doesn't berate her. She doesn't abuse her. She encourages her, and she's basically, like, her mom. Oh, so cute. Besides Bessie. Like, she has a couple good role models. Yeah. So after she leaves Lowood, where she was casually a teacher for two years after graduating, I wish it was that easy to get a job after graduating, um, <laughs> Jane, is, <laughs> Jane is fortunate enough to get a job at Thornfield as a governess for a little French aristocratic girl named Adele. And I thought it would be kind of fun to read the ad that Jane places in 
whatever the paper the classifieds what did they have back then she basically (laughs) puts an ad out ye old classifieds yeah so let me find that so the ad in the paper i assume or something is quote a young lady accustomed to tuition end quote and then in parentheses she says this is like jane speaking to the reader had i not been a teacher two years quote is desirous of meeting with a situation in a private family where the children are under 14, parentheses, I thought that as I was barely 18, it would not do to undertake the guidance of pupils nearer my own age, and parentheses, quote, she's qualified to teach the usual branches of the good English education, together with French drawing and music, end quote, parentheses. In those days, reader, this now narrow catalog of accomplishments would have been held tolerably comprehensive and parentheses quote <laughs> address je post office lowton blankshire so i don't know why her ad was um in an english accent and her speaking voice was not in an english accent but that is just part of the mystery of the novel so <laughs> so great yeah and also that sounds crazy to be 18 and be like yeah i should probably teach people who are under 14 that'd probably be a good idea part of me is like at least she's not getting married you know because then her life would just be staring out of (laughs) windows and writing and crying and yellow wallpapering it oh my gosh let's never talk about that one (laughs) that couple i sink it immediately we don't have to talk about it i sink them yeah we don't need to cover the yellow wallpaper i think we all get it thank you charlotte Perkins, Gilman, different Charlotte. So that is her ad that um, Mrs. Fairfax answers. So Mrs. Fairfax hires her um, at Thornfield, um, and she's her boss. But Mrs. Fairfax is only the housekeeper, it turns out, when she learns um, she learns that when she gets there. She learns that the master of the house is Mr. Rochester. She doesn't meet him until she's out on an evening walk. They kind of have a meet-cute. And at first, she doesn't even know it's him. They have an awkward and abrupt encounter um, where his horse falls, like he passes her on his horse and then his horse slips on the ice and then he injures himself. And then he has this ongoing joke afterward that she like (laughs) bewitched him or bewitched his horse or whatever. So they continue throughout the book, really. They continue to have awkward and abrupt encounters. And then one night when Rochester is having a party, he has a gypsy do some readings on his guests. This ugly, weird woman does a reading on Jane and then ends up, of course, being Mr. Rochester. So he's really, really extra. Yeah, and she had a really weird name. It was like Miss Bunches or something. Oh, Mother Bunches. (laughs) (laughs) So how Jane didn't recognize a man she literally saw every day, we won't know. It was dark, (laughs) whatever. Um... So he has a huge crush on her, and he's not subtle about it. Even from, like, the first, one of the first interactions they have, it just makes me laugh so much because he's just so dramatic. Okay, so even though it's, like, kind of in a negative way, he just thinks that Jane is, like, this extraordinary being. So he says, so she does stay in his house for three months before he even shows up. So he says, you've been a resident in my house three months? Yes, sir. And you came from from Lowood School in Blankshire. Ah, a charitable concern. How long were you there? Eight years. 
Eight years! You must be tenacious of life. I thought half the time in such a place would have done up any constitution. No wonder you have rather the look of another world. I marveled while you had got that sort of face. Oh my god! When you came on me in Hay Lane last night, I thought unaccountably of fairy tales, and had half a mind to demand whether you had bewitched my horse. I am not sure yet. Who are your parents? I have none. And then it continues on. He kind of interrogates her. And Jane is just like... These are the answers about my life. Why are you being so dramatic? <laughs> she's very, yeah, she's very dry and straightforward, and he is extra oh, yes. over the top, dramatic, and that's why I love him. I think he's hilarious. <laughs> so all this weird stuff is happening in the attic. In the meanwhile, Jane hears thuds and screams at night, and she's reminded of the red room where she thought um, she was being haunted as a child. Um, and then one night there's a fire, but and she saves Rochester, and they have this moment together. But Rochester writes it off as Grace Poole, who is the maid there, being drunk and a little crazy. So Jane's like, okay, sure. She has to return to Gateshead for a while because her aunt, Mrs. Reed, is dying and has asked for her. So in this short part, she actually forgives this woman who's abused her and neglected her and tried to make her feel worthless and unwanted. It's pretty cool. So she learned that from Helen character development yeah so um by the time jane returns home to thornfield she realizes that she missed rochester while she was gone and she loves him so long story short rochester's like let's get married now and jane's like okay sure they do love each other but anytime there's a rush to get married like that without the foundation of a strong relationship um sometimes there are unsavory reasons behind it so at the wedding two guys show up one guy claims that Rochester is married to his sister, and the other guy is his lawyer. So Rochester's like, aw, man, in his swiper, no swipies, swiper the fox voice from Dora the Explorer. <laughs> swiper, no swiping. And his whole so plan good. unravels, and Jane is introduced to Bertha, Rochester's beautiful but mad wife that he's casually been keeping in the attic this whole time. So apparently Rochester's dad, as you covered, um, tricked him into marrying her for the money, didn't tell him that there was mental illness in her family, so then she went mad, and Rochester kept her in the attic instead of sending her away because he felt responsible for her. That was his way of taking care of her because back then they really didn't know how to care for people with um, mental illnesses. So there's definitely a layer of prejudice there, both against those with mental illnesses and those with dark skin. She's said to be from Jamaica, and Jane describes her as animalistic, which is a little problematic. So Jane is like, I can't be married to a married guy. That's a little too much for me. I ain't down with that. And Rochester, <laughs> a too much. Yeah. Rochester can't procure a divorce because it's the Victorian era. And he can't hold Bertha responsible for her actions because she's mentally unstable. So he's in a catch-22 and Jane just leaves all upset. So Jane is walking around crying for a while, as you do. Um, just wandering the moors and she eventually is starving cold and lost and ends up on the front step of a small family the next part is probably the most fantasy driven part of the novel the river the river's siblings at marsh end take jane in and saint john or sinjin as they call him gives jane a job as a teacher and they end up finding out that they're all cousins and he wants to marry her and make her his missionary wife when he moves to india as we covered um, she tells him repeatedly that she doesn't want that. <laughs> so. No. I couldn't read that very unromantic proposal. I find it pretty funny. So what he says is, God and nature intended you for a missionary's wife. It is not personal, but mental endowments they have given you. You are formed for labor, not for love. A missionary's wife you must, shall be. You shall be mine. 
I claim you, not for my pleasure, but for my sovereign service. And she says, I am not fit for it. I have no vocation. And I just love that kind of response. It has a period, like no exclamation mark. She's just like, nah, I'm, that's not my thing. She's super calm. No, thanks. <laughs> then it says, he had calculated on these first objections. He was not irritated by them. So like he was ready for her to object. Indeed, as he leaned uh, back against the crag behind him, folded his arms on his chest and fixed his countenance, I saw he was prepared for a long and trying opposition, had taken in a stock of patience to last him to its close, resolved, however, that that close should be con- conquest for him. So he's basically prepared to win this argument any, like, by any means necessary. Yeah, he's ready to filibuster the whole night. Yeah, he just wants her <laughs> to feel like a sinner for not wanting to marry him. And he's yep. saying that he doesn't even love her. It's just, he's just ill. He's like, oh no, you're not, the thing he says, you're not made for love. Yeah. Like, not cool, Sinjin, not cool. He's very, very manipulative. He says, I want a wife. The sole help meet I can influence efficiently in life and retain, retain absolutely till death. So romantic. I just want to retain you for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then there's another character I didn't talk about, but there's this girl that is in love with him. She's like a little flirty and she's beautiful. Yeah. And he's like, well, yeah, I'm physically attracted to her because she's beautiful, but she's not the right kind of wife for me. And it's just like, you're thwarting your own happiness now. So Jane is like really conflicted about this because she does care for St. John because he did care for her. She knows that he's a good person technically because he is religious and she thinks that that's important Mm -hmm. personally i don't agree but um well i do think religion is important but i just don't think that makes him a good person no and then um she's very conflicted and she's contemplating like maybe i should marry him what other chance do i have um at happiness or you know whatever whatever she goes outside she's all conflicted and then that's when she hears jane being yelled on the wind basically so i love this part of the book so much what have you heard what do you see asked saint john i saw nothing but heard a voice somewhere cry jane 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 nothing more so then she skipped forward a little i am coming i cried wait for me oh i will come and then she just runs she just runs she just back to runs back to, Thor- to fairfield <laughs> Oh, that's one of my favorite parts of the book. She's like, I gotta go. This love is so deep that it calls on the wind. Yeah, and then she um, says, I looked with timorous joy upon a stately house. I saw a blackened ruin. So she's expecting to see this grand estate that she had lived on, and it's just in ashes. So she's wandering around there. She runs into Mrs. Fairfax, and eventually she finds her way back to Rochester. Rochester is blind. And missing part of his arm. And Bertha had jumped to her death from the attic when the fire started. So she's conveniently kind of out of the way. And then that was the fiery death that we had mentioned in the beginning. So then um, they end up at Ferndine. And they get married and basically live happily ever after. He gets his sight back. The interesting thing about the ending is that it ends with um, mentioning St. John again. So, my math, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Quote, my master, end quote, he says, quote, has forewarned me. Daily he announces more distinctly, surely I come quickly, and hourly I more eagerly respond. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Like, 
St. John never got married, um, and then he died. And so I, th- I think the purpose of ending on that is, like, Helen Burns was religious. She believed in God. She was very faithful, and she died. But she was faithful to the end, and she taught Jane a lot and passed a lot on to her, and she was never... I don't know. She never used God against people. Yeah, she wasn't overzealous. And the difference between her and St. John is that he used his holiness against Jane. He was like, I'm the best, and I'm going to make you the best because I'm the best. Yeah, but he had no intention of elevating her because he wanted to retain her and basically manipulate her. And he was almost like completely open about that fact. He's just like, I just want a wife, kind of. Because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And so Jane has has the compass of religion. I do think that in, she is religious. Not positive, but that's how I read it. But she does have this intense moral compass, too, that she knows mm-hmm. in her gut what's right, and she follows it. And that's very admirable. She has a very strong backbone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At first, like, she was like, oh, I don't know about Rochester. I'm going to try and keep this under wraps. Like, she was very strong about it. And as soon as she found out that there was that problem, she's like, I have to go. I can't be a part of this. Like, morally, in my heart, I can't do it. And then she leaves, even though she does really love him. Mm-hmm. You know, if he doesn't have skeletons in his closet, he probably has a Bertha in his attic. <laughs> what Jane says to everyone. <laughs> Um, I remember I was going to say I remember reading this book and the point where she runs away um, from Thornfield and she's just like starving and almost dies because she doesn't take anything with her. I was just like, what? What is happening? And then it becomes almost like Mm -hmm. a little mini book inside of the regular book when she's living with the Rivers cousins. And I was like, this is ridiculous. They're cousins. Of course they're related. It's very supernatural paranormal crazy coincidences like divine intervention kind just of. like a weird little interlude yeah, so um, exactly like leading so now Jane do we want to talk about right cons of them as a couple yes yes so jochester jochester love it so much mm-hmm. um some pros about them um or actually do you want to say ship it or sink it first mm. and then do pros and cons is that what we did I think that's time? what we did last time. We were like, we... Okay. So I think I ship it. Like, at the beginning of the novel, I wasn't really keen on Rochester. I was like, I don't know. He seems to be coming on too strong. And sometimes he's so, like, uh, flirty that he doesn't, like, regard Jane's feelings. And he's a little superficial at first. Yeah. But I think at the end, like, he really does love her. And she loves him, like, immensely. And so I think that they make each other, or at least Jane makes Rochester a better person. And so I think that I ship it. I want them to be together. Yeah, I ship it. I ship it too. And so in one way, the relationship is very formulaic because you have this working class orphan girl who has many times in her life been oppressed, put down, made to feel plain. She's made to feel nothing exceptional. And she's very matter-of-fact in how she communicates and how she presents herself. But she's very accepting of that. She's comfortable in being plain. So, and then she meets this guy who is unlike anyone she's ever met. He's very romantic. He's possibly deranged. (laughs) Possibly. 
Asterisk. And he regards her as this fantastic wood nymph, basically. He's like, oh, Anne, you majestic land mermaid. Oh, Rochester. In that way. So in that way, one could write it off and say, you know, it's not a healthy relationship. It's not a healthy foundation Mm -hmm. if he's just putting her on a pedestal. But Jane has a backbone. So when Bertha is revealed, she doesn't feel right marrying him. Strong internal compass. And so she doesn't. Even though she loves him, she needed him to be honest. She demanded that of him. Mm-hmm. So on top of her own yeah. convictions, there's also the fact that it's just simply not like a fairy tale story. Like it's not a Prince Charming, Cinderella kind of relationship. He's not rescuing her from her life and she's not rescuing him from his. He's sharing his life with her. She's sharing hers with him. He genuinely ends up Mm -hmm. seeing her as a companion and not someone to adore or put on a pedestal. Yeah. And I think their relationship gets way better after she leaves because at first he was like trying to buy her all those like beautiful dresses and jewelry. And she's like, you're just trying to like make me materialistic. Like you're projecting that vision on me and it's not me and I don't like it. And so after, after she comes back, it's just like a more even relationship, I think. They're both a little bit more honest about how they feel about things. So, so I like it. So um, his his second accepted proposal. Ooh. Oh, I love that is, quote. Uh, the bird quote. He's been talking to her about um, St. John, and she tells him, like, yeah, he proposed marriage to me, but I didn't like him. Don't worry about it. And he's he's kind of insecure, both because he is just insecure, but also because he has these new injuries and he's like, how can anyone ever love me when I look like this? You know, that kind of thing. And so then he says, um, she says, choose then, sure. And she's also insecure a little bit. She says, choose then, sir, her who loves you best. And then he says, I will at least choose her I love best. So that is him saying, even if you don't love me more than whoever, I love you the most. And then he says, Jane, will you marry me? She says, yes, sir. A poor blind man whom you will have to lead about by the hand. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> a crippled man, 20 years older than you, whom you will have to wait on. Yes, sir. Truly, Jane. Most truly, sir. Oh, my darling. God bless and reward you. Like, <laughs> very, very dramatic. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Like, I feel like the way you're reading it is like an ant that you see on like Christmases. <laughs> it's like, oh, darling, how are you? But yeah, uh, I forgot that he's like 20 years older than she is. That's a little weird, but their souls are compatible. There's a possible power um, <laughs> dynamic, which is why I think a lot of people read this book as like, ew, he's creepy. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm convinced that he really has a change of heart and he knows that she's smart and he like one of the first things that he interrogates her on is her art like he wants to see into her intellect and her oh yeah and like at the beginning when she first meets him he's like trying to get his act together before he even meets her so it wasn't just jane that he was trying to be better for it was him like he was already at that step because he had had a Mm -hmm. bunch of mistresses and was like living lavishly and he was like okay i gotta like focus rein it in stop doing that and then jane just like kind of helped a little bit because i think that she was almost like 
a role model of moral integrity for well, him. Well, and they both love Adele, the child that he has to take care of, whether it's his <laughs> Oh my <or> gosh. <laughs> for a second, I was like, they both love Adele we because like rolling in the deep. <laughs> yeah. They have great music taste. So they, but also, they yeah, the child. Taking care of her, yeah. Um, he recovers mm-hmm. sight of one of his eyes. Um, does he lose sight in just one eye or both? Convenient. I thought it was both, and then he gets oh, yeah, yeah, one yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Rochester continued blind the first two years of our union, and then he gets sight in one eye. Yeah. So that's, like, good. That's a good. That he gets to have one eye. Because I feel, I feel like if you are blind after you already see, then that's even sadder. Because mm-hmm. then you know what it looks like, but you can't have it. But, yeah, I can understand, like, why people wouldn't like Rochester a lot because he is kind of flawed. Um, and the way that he's seen treating his wife, even though it was kind of a product of the times, we still need to, like, make people responsible for that. Like, locking her up in the attic. There wasn't really anything else to be done for her, but it still kind of makes him a little bit detestable by today's standards. But that's the thing. Yeah, you can't judge it by today's standards. Yeah. You just can't because... It's like when people, I don't know, when people read old texts in general, like a lot of people will read the Bible and be like, oh my gosh, what the hell is going on there? But it's yeah, like, yeah, it was just different. It's a different culture at a different time. Yeah. Like the only, like the thing that you can fault him on is for trying to marry Jane when he was married already and not, and like lying about it. And I think that's the main thing you can fault him on. And that's a mistake that he did make, but Jane forgave him. He forgave himself. He loses his hand. You feel a little bit bad for him at the end. But, um, yeah, I can see how people wouldn't like him. But I think in the end, what we're rating their couplehood, their love is real. And we we ship it. I agree. We ship. Ship it. We do. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. So if you would like to get in touch, why? <laughs> Just kidding. If you want to get in touch, please don't run away and live with your long lost cousins. There are easier ways. We have an Instagram. It's at Lit in Love Pod. We have a Facebook page, Lit in Love Podcast. And we have a Facebook secret group because we all have our secret shames. It's Secret Lit in Love. Also, subscribe. Please rate us on iTunes. It helps us a lot. Recommend us to your nerd friends or to your cool friends or to your kooky friends or to your spooky friends. Anyway... Well, thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening. That's all. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 